almost the end of January. I mean, it's already the end of January 2019. Man, I, I still haven't got out of 2018 yet. And all of a sudden, it's the end of January 2019. Things are going really fast. But as things continue to progress, no doubt somebody, in, or at least everybody in here at one point or another, has, has looked at the news over the last couple weeks, couple months, couple years, whatever it is. But recently, you know, things in the news seem kind of chaotic. Things are kind of crazy right now. And it's easy to look at that, you know, whether you're reading it on, on, in, the, in the newspaper, on the Internet, or, or watching on TV or radio, wherever you're, you're getting your, your news. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's crazy. And it's easy to fall into a, a fear trap. It's easy to fall into a mindset that, you know, thing, things are, are, are going down or things are just not going to go right and it's not going to get any better. And the danger in that is to say, you know what, we're just going to hunker down and just wait for Jesus to come back. But that's not the call of the church. The church is not called to isolate itself from the world. Now, the Lord told us to not be of the world, but we are to be in the world. Because without us, the world has no hope. It's the way the Lord set it up. What I mean by that is we have the message of hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all this chaos is a result of the lack of of the hope of Christ. So we have a, a job to do. When we look at the news, when we look at our communities, when we look at what's going on in, in our state or in the country or even around the world, when we look at those things, we need to make sure we don't fall into a fear trap and look at it as if we are victims because we're not. We are not victims. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have already been made victors. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. We have already been made victors. Our victory is not based on our circumstances. It is not based on the news. It is not based on what other people do or say. It is based on the word of God that says, in him we have victory. He has already conquered hell, death, the grave, and sin. That is already done. So when we see things getting worse, that can become not a a, a moment of fear, but an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel in the darkest places. You see, if I were to take out a candle and light a candle and put it up here, you, you probably see it, you know, somebody walking in, they may see it, they may not. But if I turn all the lights out in this room and put a candle up here, guess who's going to see it? Everybody. The darker it is, the more attractive the light is. And as our world, as our country, as our state, our communities get darker, the more attractive the gospel becomes. A lot of times we think it's the reverse. We think as darker, the things get darker, the gospel becomes less and less relevant. But it's just the opposite. 
Because the darker it is in our country, the darker it is in our communities, the brighter that gospel is. The brighter the hope that God placed you in is to those around you because you stand out. But we have to be careful that we're not afraid to stand out. And the way we don't stand out is, number one, is through isolation. We cannot isolate ourselves. And then number two is we conform to the culture. We can't do that either. It's not easy. But because we have been given victory already, we can do it in confidence. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is community transformation. We have to see transformation in our communities, in our state, in our country, in this world. We are not called to hunker down until Jesus comes back. You know, when, when the disciples were with Jesus at the, at, at the, the end before he was uh, ascended to heaven, he's sitting there, you know, they're talking to him, and, he, and, and they say to him, hey, uh, okay, is it now? Now are you gonna re- you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Now? You know, it's, he went through all that other stuff. We've been waiting for like three years for you to do this. You're going to do it now? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And then he's a, you know, he gives them the Great Commission, and he's ascended into heaven. And they're just sitting there staring up into the sky watching, whoa, we've never seen anything like this. And as they're sitting there staring up to the sky, an angel comes to them and said, why do you stare into the sky? Why do you stand here staring into the sky? The same Jesus whom you've seen ascended will return the same way. In other words, quit focusing on what you have no control over. And focus on what God has put in your hands. And a lot of times in the church, we focus on what we have no control over. We focus on, you know, we know Jesus is coming back. You know, and we're, we're like the disciples, just staring up. Come, uh, is it now? How about now? Now? How about now? And it's like the kid in the backseat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, we're saying to God, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And God's saying, don't worry about that. I got something for you to do. Go do it. Why do you stare up into the sky waiting for me to come back while I'm sitting here waiting for you to do what I've asked you to do? So in that context, I want to talk to you about community transformation because we all have a responsibility in regards to community transformation. There's a specific verse I want to talk about this morning, but I want to give it some context before I bring it. It's out of Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, it's not the one you're thinking, when I say Jeremiah 29, everybody, of course, thinks Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's not the one I'm talking about. It's actually four verses earlier. It's Jeremiah 29, 7, which says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So this is verse 7. Four verses later, we have our famous verse 11. But here's the context of both of these verses. Israel has just been sent into exile into Babylon. Later on, Jeremiah, or the Lord speaks through Jeremiah and says that you're going to be there for 70 years. 
And we know that in the book of Daniel, Daniel recognizes that prophecy and begins to pray that the end of, at the end of the 70 years. So we're familiar with that part. But in this context, this is the beginning of the 70 years. So a lot of times when we quote Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, we talk about, oh, it's going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. This is the beginning of 70 years of captivity. And the Lord says, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. That's the, that's the essence of verse 11. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Even though you're going into captivity for 70 years, I know what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is for your good. That follows this verse. Now, in this verse it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And this is Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, that whole story. That's where Israel has been sent. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Whose behalf? Babylon's behalf. So wait a minute, the Lord's asking me, or these people, to pray for the city, Babylon, where they are now in exile. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, some, verses, uh, some translations translate the word welfare, peace. So seek the peace of the city where you've been sent into exile. And pray for the Lord on its behalf. For its peace, you will find your peace. But the word peace in this verse is the exact same word in 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace and not harm. That word peace is the exact same word we find in verse 7. So the Lord's saying, pray for the peace of the city where I have sent you. For its peace is your peace. That's a pretty powerful word. That's a pretty powerful context. You know, again, we, we think of verse 11, but we usually don't put it in that context. We're not in a physical exile like Israel was. Now, Paul tells us that the things that happened in the Old Testament are an a illustration for us in the New Testament. And in our lives today, we, are, we in this country at least, are not in physical captivity, but we are, as is every single person in the world, in spiritual captivity. This world is spiritually captive to the enemy through sin. And we're all there. So if the Lord tells Israel, in this case, you're in captivity, but I want you to pray for the welfare, for the peace of the city where I have sent you, because its peace will be your peace. In Acts chapter 17, it says that the Lord has placed each and every one of us in our time and location on purpose for a purpose. So I want you to think of what city you live in right now, whether it's Burleson, Fort Worth, Arlington, whatever city it is you live in, you're there on, on purpose for a purpose. It's not by accident that you live where you live. What would happen if the church, and when I say the church... I mean you and me. I'm not talking the building. I'm not talking a 501c3. I'm talking us. 
When the Bible uses the word church, it has, there's no context for an organization like we think of here in this country. That didn't exist back then. The word means the called out ones. We are the called out ones. So what if the church in your city were to seek the peace of that city? We're, we're to seek the welfare of that city. What would be different in your city today? than where it is right now. What would be different in our in DFW if the church in DFW were to seek the peace of DFW? What if the church in this state were to seek the peace of this state? What if the church in this country were to seek the peace and welfare of this country? What would be different? So I want to talk... I want to actually kind of go in reverse. I want to talk about the community level first, and then we're going to go backwards and bring it personal. And I want to give you some examples of what this can look like to give you something tangible. Because I know a lot of times I say, you know, seek the peace of the city, seek the welfare. Well, what does that mean? You know, I, I don't understand how that relates to me. So let's, let's start at the community level. So think about the community that you live in. And as I give you these examples, think about what that would look like in your community. Uh, a lot of you know that over the last several years that I've had the opportunity to travel with uh, my friend Stephen Evans to Central America. Now, several of you have gone with us. We, we've started to send teams with Stephen Evans um, over these last couple of years. Last, last uh, July, we took a team to Honduras. And we've got some folks going to Paraguay here in a couple months, and, and we're going to do another team this summer uh, to El Salvador. But here's the thing about Stephen Evans that I've, that I've learned. Over the last 14, 15 years, Stephen Evans has been working in Central America. Now, he doesn't live there, but the Lord sent him there. And he has partnered with people and the church who do live there. And over the last 15 years, Stephen has worked with the church to seek the peace and the welfare of the communities where those churches are. And what has happened over the last, those last 15 years? Well, in the last 15 years, the governments of these countries have taken notice of what Stephen Evans and Light of Life International have done. Last year, we were in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, which is the capital of Honduras. We were in the National Soccer Stadium. We had government officials. We had business leaders. We had the church. And they all came together for the purpose of praying for Honduras. We had the blessing of the president of the country to do what we were doing. Why? Because over the last 15 years, as Stephen Evans has worked in those countries in Central America, the government has seen the result of when a church seeks the peace of the community. Things change. God begins to move. And, it, and people take Notice, there are some dark areas in Central America. But in those dark areas, the churches begin to sh begun to shine and people are taking notice. A few months ago, Stephen Evans was approached or, or had the opportunity to meet the president of, of, of a couple countries. And they had heard of him. And they are asking him, would you come to our country? 
Why is that happening? Why is a government official, why is a president seeking out an evangelist? Because they see what happens when the church seeks the peace of its community. Uh, Many of you know uh, my friend uh, Lisa Schwarz. She's been working in in the Johnson County area, Burleson, Crowley, Joshua, for many years now through a ministry called Crazy Eight. She began a, basically a, a, a biblical counseling and women's shelter here in Burleson back in 2011. And over that time, she sought the peace of this community through a very specific area where the Lord put it on her heart to help women in need, to help those who were homeless, to help those who were in, in abusive relationships. And she began that ministry And over the last eight or so years, she is sought out by police departments. She is sought out by mayors, by by state officials, because of the impact of Crazy Eight Ministries. She has sought the peace of the community where the Lord has placed her. And it has got the attention of the government, not just the government, but businesses have sought her out and say, we want to partner with you. We want to help you with this because we see you're making a difference. Through my relationship with, with uh, Lisa Schwarz, when I first got to know her back in 2012, uh, I just, it was just before I came on staff here at Turning Point, she said, man, you need to get involved in the city here in Burleson. So she started introducing me to some people, and I got involved with the uh, Burleson Christian Ministerial Alliance and, and the, the chamber. Well, over the last, what, five, six years, through my contacts and just getting to know people and serving through the chamber, serving through the Ministerial Alliance, the Lord has opened just some incredible doors I mean, a pastor on, on staff at a church, uh, just this week, I was um, honored, I mean, there's a lot behind that, but I, I was installed, that's the word I was looking for, I was installed as the chairman of the board of directors for the Burleson Area Chamber of Commerce. This is a business organization an organization that is run by businesses, and now we have a pastor on staff at a church as the chairman of the board. How does that happen? Because I've gone into the city, and I've sought the peace of that city. I've developed relationships. I've worked with with Lisa and others through the Burleson Christian Ministerial Alliance and the National Day of Prayer to seek the peace of that city. And that light that is, it has nothing to do with me personally. It is the light that the Lord has put in me that the Lord has used to raise up. And now every time we have a meeting, which we do all the time, we, we just had the state of the city here in Burleson, Mayor Shetter giving the, the state of the city, I had the opportunity to stand in front of that entire crowd as they introduced me as, as a pastor at Turning Point Church has nothing to do with me. I'm not saying it because it's me. There are many opportunities for you to shine in your community. There are endless needs 
in the community. These are just three quick examples I can give you of community-level opportunities to seek the peace of the community. Now, how many would love to see your community? In, in, insert the name of your city there, whether it's Fort Worth, whatever. How many would love to see your community be transformed? Okay? So if you would like to see that, let's go to the next level. Because what is a community? A community is just people. A community is not a 501c3. It's not some business organization. It is a group of people who live in an incorporated area. Forget about the incorporated part, but just live in an area. Fort Worth is a, is, is a city of 800,000 plus people. Your community is a community of people. And that's the next level. If you want to transform your community, you need to start with people. You need to start with individuals. And this is where things get a little dicey. Because the thing about a community is, you know, when we think of community transformation, we often think of the government. Well, I'm here to tell you the government's not the answer. We spend way too much time focused on the government. Now, the government has its role. You know, the Lord has installed governments, according to Romans 13, and given authority there. But here's the thing. When we sit back and we wait for the government to fix things, we are abdicating our responsibility. We are abdicating our responsibility. The government is not equipped to transform a community the way the church is. That is our responsibility. And unfortunately in this country, we've abdicated that role to government. We've looked to government to make those changes while we sit back and watch. And then we point our fingers at the government and go, why aren't you doing it? They're not equipped to do it. They don't have the spiritual power the church does. Because the reality is we don't fight flesh and blood. But principalities and powers and hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. The reason Stephen Evans is making a difference in Central America is not just because he has gone in there and, and, and distributed tens, hundreds of thousands of pounds of food to the poor. That is a part of it. But he's gone in there with spiritual power to pray for those communities. The reason Leisha Schwarz has made a difference in Johnson County is not just because she houses women who are in need, is because she has gone into those cities and she is attacking a spiritual problem. Because here's the thing, everything in life is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There's no such thing as secular. Everything is a spiritual foundation. So if you've got a problem in your community, it's a spiritual problem. And it has to be attacked on a spiritual level. As well as the natural level. We don't ignore the natural level. But we also have to be aware of the spiritual level. And that always comes back to people. It always comes back to people. Because communities are made of people. You know, one of the things that it says of Jesus, it says Jesus was a friend of sinners. In fact, the Pharisees, the religious elite, accused him all the time of hanging out with sinners. But here's the flip side of that coin. 
in order for him to be accused of being a friend of sinners, sinners would have to want to be friends with him. How many people in our communities look at the church as a friend of sinners? How many people in our communities look at, when I say the church, I mean you and me, how many people in our communities view the church as a friend of sinners? Most communities don't. One of the, one of the barriers that I had to overcome in, this, in the city of Burleson in working to where I am now is the perception of the church. Because I'd meet community leaders and they're like, oh yeah, the church, you guys don't do anything. How come you guys aren't involved? And not specific to Turning Point, but specific to the church in general. And it's a valid criticism because we've isolated ourselves. And we spend more time condemning people than we do reaching out to help them. We point our fingers at them and say, you need to change, but we never give them the means by which they can be changed. If they could change on their own without Jesus, then (laughs) what are we doing? The only way a person is transformed is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can transform a life. And here's the thing. Most people are not interested in your message unless the messenger is interested in them. And unfortunately, we have gotten to the point where we're not interested in the, in the, in the, in the individual. We're more interested in our ideology than we are in the individual. We have to get back to focusing on the individual. Now, does that mean we, we agree with everybody? We accept all behavior? No. It has nothing to do with that. I can still engage with a person and love them because they are valuable in God's sight without validating behavior. I am friends with people who are homosexual. And we know we have a difference in ideology, but we also know that I respect you and you respect me and we're friends. Now, a lot of times we view that as a tacit endorsement, and it's not. God is more interested in the individual than, they are, than he is in the behavior. Because until Jesus is introduced into their life, there's no hope for their behavior. Christianity... Christianity is not a behavioral modification program. It is a life transformation process. And until Jesus enters their life, there's no way they can experience change. So for me to condemn them over their behavior without Jesus is really irrational. So when I go into a city or when we go into our cities... And I don't mean walking into City Hall. I mean just going where you go. And the individuals you run at, your neighbors, the people you run into at school, maybe you're part of a PTA or PTO or whatever you call it, whatever it is, 
your work, your job. Those are, that's the community. We have to remember that relationship is the key to the gospel. The gospel is not just about going to heaven one day. We have to be careful we don't reduce the gospel to just a heaven or hell issue. Is heaven or hell involved? You bet it is. But that's not all it is. The goal of the gospel is for God to restore the relationship he intended to have with every single individual when he created them in the first place. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not just about going to heaven one day. The reason we go to heaven is because that's where God is and we're in relationship with him. When God created Adam and Eve, he was in relationship with them. When he created each one of us, he desired a relationship with us. So if we want to evangelize people, we need to do it through relationship. Now, I understand sometimes you don't have the opportunity for a long-term relationship. Like when we, when we go to Central America, I'm not there for six months. I'm there for seven days. And I understand that. And there's a place for that. But there's also a place for engaging people in relationship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And it's time for the church to become a friend of sinners again. You know, one of the things uh, Pastor Jeff has been talking about is Jim Cimbala. If you've ever read any of his books, he, 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 in those books, he shares the beginning of the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And at the very beginning, you know who showed up at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? The people on the street. And you know what he did? He welcomed them. He entered into a relationship with them, and he saw God transform people People that you would never in a million years think would be transformed. They were transformed because he entered into a relationship with them. The Brooklyn Tabernacle became a friend of sinners. And it made a huge difference. And everybody around the world now knows the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Why? Because they were a friend of sinners. And they've made huge transformation aspects in their community. But they do it through the individual. So think for a minute. In your communities, wherever those are, who has God placed in your life that you can be a friend of a sinner to? Who can you be a friend that maybe it's the person that nobody wants to be friends with? Maybe it's the person that rubs you the wrong way all the time. It's more important that you demonstrate the love of God to that person than it is for you to win an argument. Than it is to prove that you're right. Because God loves that person more than he does you being right. So who is in your life right now? Who's around your circle, at your job, in your neighborhood, where you shop, where you work? Maybe you go to a restaurant all the time and you started meeting the, the, the servers or, or the owner. Who are those people? Those are individuals who are loved by God. Because here's the thing, you just never know if you're talking to the next Billy Graham. You just never know if you're talking to the next world leader. And you have an opportunity for their, for their lives to be transformed by Jesus. And if this world needs anything, it needs leaders who have been transformed by Jesus. And you may have that opportunity to be that person who introduces them to Jesus through relationship. We need to become friends of sinners again. So we talked about the community. We've talked about the individuals within the community. But it always comes back to right here, you and me.
In order for us to impact another individual, we have to allow Jesus to impact us. The gospel cannot be powerful through you unless it is first powerful to you. If you will not allow Jesus to transform your life, you cannot expect God to transform others through you. And that begins right here in this room. It begins with you. You know, a lot of, a lot of times in the church we talk about we want prayer back in school. We want the Bible back in school. But my question is, how much prayer is going on in your home? How much Bible is going on in your home? You want prayer back in school? Put it back in your house. You want prayer back in school? Put it back in the church house. You want prayer back in school? It begins with you and me. Because a lot of times when we say we want prayer in school, what we're saying is we're abdicating our role as being the spiritual leader to the government. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't belong there. Obviously. They're not equipped to handle that. Obviously. They're not equipped to be the spiritual and moral leaders of a community. We are. It is our responsibility, and it begins with you and me. It begins with what you do every single day. One of the things we've been talking about here at Turning Point Church that Pastor has been passionate about, and I've talked about in any of the classes I've taught, is you need to be in the Word every single day. If you're not in the Word every single day, you cannot reasonably expect other people to be in the Word every single day. It's just not going to happen. Because the transformation that takes place in you eventually becomes an overflow that spills onto others. But if you've got nothing to spill out, then you can't expect anything to happen. We, the church, are the moral compass of a community. If, our, if the community in which you live is off morally and spiritually, it's because we, the church, have abdicated our role. It's because we, the church, have not fulfilled that role. The only reason Israel ever lost to their enemies in the Old Testament was not because their enemies were stronger or more numerous. It's because God turned them over. Why did God turn them over? Because Israel abandoned the Lord. Because Israel sinned against the Lord. If our communities are off in left field somewhere spiritually or morally, it's because not because they're, they're stronger than us, it's not because the enemy is stronger than us. It's because our light is not shining. Because we are not doing what we preach. We are not seeking the Lord ourselves. We are not being personally transformed. I guarantee you, when we do that, it will naturally happen to individuals around us and then to communities. If you listen to those first three illustrations of, of Stephen Evans' Alicia Schwartz and myself, and thought, wow, I'd love to be able to do that. You know where it begins? Right here, with you at home. That's where it begins. It begins here. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. I started this by saying, without us, the world has no hope. When I say us, I mean you and me. Because Jesus himself said, you, meaning you, insert your name here. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people hang a light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's up to us individually. The hope in the future of this country resides in this room right here. It's not in Washington, and it's not in Austin. It's right here in this room. If we want to see our communities, our state, and our country change, we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to no longer isolate ourselves. We have to be willing to be the difference we want to see in our communities, and in our state, and in our country. And it's not through coercion or condemnation, but through love and compassion for those around us. Would you stand with me? We are at a very unique place in our country right now. We're in a season of transition and transformation. Where this leads, it's up to us. It's up to the church. This country, our state, our communities are desperately seeking leadership. And that leadership has to come from the church. It has to come from you and me. If we are willing to stand up and fulfill the God-given role he's given us to be the transformation makers to transform our communities. So how many in here today are willing to take the responsibility to personally allow God to transform your life? To become a friend of sinners for those around you, the individuals that God has placed in your life in order for you to be a catalyst for community transformation. If you're willing to do that, would you just raise your hand? So here's the thing. We've just now made a commitment before the Lord and before each other. And in that context, the Lord's going to hold us to that. And we need to hold each other to that. That's why we gather together. So this morning, let us pray for the peace and welfare of our communities. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. First of all, just for who you are. Lord, I thank you today that it is your desire and it is your call still today, just like it was back in Jeremiah's day, to us to seek the peace and welfare of the cities and communities where you, you have sent us. And Lord, you have seen our commitments this morning. Lord, I pray right now that you would seal those commitments in the hearts and minds of each and every person here today. You would give them strength, give them boldness and courage to shine the light you've already placed within each and every one of us. And Lord, as that light spills out, Lord, it would transform those around us. And as those around us are transformed, it would transform our communities. And as our communities are transformed, Lord, it would transform our state. As it transforms our state, Lord, it would transform our country. And Lord, we would again be the hope of the world. Lord, your church, 
the light of the world. Lord, let our light shine in such a way that the world sees it and gives you glory, our Father in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning.